This morning, our reading comes from the book of 1 Kings. We'll be reading chapter 11, verses 1 through 13, and chapter 12, verses 1 through 15. Uh, Chapter 11. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them. Neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and did not wholly follow the Lord, as David his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives, who made offerings and sacrifice to their gods. And the Lord was angry with Solomon, because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice, and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what the Lord commanded. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Since this has been your practice, and you have not kept my covenant, and my statutes that I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you, and will give it to your servant. Yet for the sake of David your father, I will not do it in your days, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away all of the kingdom, but I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem that I have chosen. Chapter 12. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. And as soon as Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, had heard of it, for he was still in Egypt, where he had fled... From King Solomon, then Jeroboam returned to Egypt, and they sent him and called him, and Jeroboam and all the assembly of Israel came and said to Rehoboam, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now therefore lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you. He said to them, Go away for three days, then come again to me. So the people went away. Then Rehoboam took counsel with the old men who had stood before Solomon his father while he was yet alive, saying, How do you advise me to answer these people? And they said to him, If you will be a servant to this people today and serve them, and speak good words to them when you answer them, then they will be your servants forever. But he abandoned the counsel of the old men gave him, and took counsel with the young men who had grown up with him, and who stood before him. And he said to them, What do you advise that we answer this people who have said to me, Lighten the yoke that your father put on us? And the young men who had grown up with him said to him, Thus you shall speak to this to my people, or to... Thus shall you speak to this people who said to you, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you lighten it for us. Thus you shall say to them, My little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. And now, whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam on the third day, and as the king said, Come to me again this third day. And the king answered the people harshly, and forsaking the counsel that the old men had given him, he spoke according to the counsel of the young men, saying, 
My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people, for it was a turn of affairs brought about by the Lord that he might fulfill his word, which the Lord, had, which the Lord spoke by Ahijah the Shilonite to Jeroboam the son of Nebat. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. My name is Ben, and I am one of the elders here, not the oldest elder, but one of them uh, here at Pillar Church of Okinawa, and I am blessed to, uh, well, actually, to have a difficult sermon with you today. Uh, So if anyone knows me, they probably know that I like to joke a lot, and with those jokes usually comes laughter. Uh, So as I was preparing for this sermon, I was reading through the text, uh, 1 Kings 11 and 12. And I wrote down in my notes, you know, come up with a joke, try to tie it into the, to the text. And I came downstairs in tears to my wife and I looked at her and I said, Nicole, I, I can't come up with a joke from this text because this text is all about me. Um, so I don't know if anyone else has heard this, but if you talk to a pastor, sometimes they'll say when they're preparing a sermon or they're preaching a sermon, they realize that that sermon is for them and they need it most, uh, more than anyone else that could possibly be here. That's how I feel right now. I feel like this sermon in which I'm about to give really, well, it's probably for some people out here, um, but it's really speaking to myself. Um, it's crazy. You know, you read through the Old Testament and you read that God has, has created a people to love and worship him, and these people do love and worship God. And then what happens? Well, they find a new God to worship, something else to turn to. And then what comes from that? Judgment from God. And then what comes from that? The people cry out to God. And then what comes from that? God the Father restores his people every single time. Every single time. And then you flip three chapters in the Old Testament, and what do you read? It happens again. You flip three more chapters and the cycle happens again and it happens again. And I read 1 Kings 11 and 12 and I say to myself, Solomon is so dumb. How can he do this? How can he do this? He had David as his father. David made some mistakes, learned through his mistakes. Like, I don't understand it. Solomon, then Roboam, and then Jeroboam are so dumb. And then the Lord convicts me where I think that I'm better than the people that the Bible is writing about right here, where the author talks about the failures and the sins in these high places. Church, this this sermon's for me. I pray that it's for some of you as well. Let's pray. Father God, I give you thanks for who you are, Lord. I give you thanks for sending your son Jesus over 2,000 years ago to, to die on behalf of me, to take my place on the cross, to wipe away all of my sins, past, present, and future. Lord, for giving me freedom and a grace in which I do not deserve, but it is a free gift that you have given to us. Father, I thank you for then sending your spirit to dwell inside all believers, to give us the convictions that we need in order to see our sin for what it is. Lord God, I pray that this message today uh, glorifies you and brings honor to your name. It just helps us really understand what sin is doing in our lives. Lord God, we pray all these things in your son's holy name. Amen. Now, like Vince told us last week, if you were here, First and Second Kings is just one book. It's divided in, into two, but it's, it's just the, a linear story of the kings of, of Israel and, and what happens. It's, it's a pretty insane story of the kings. Some are good, most are bad, though. Uh, and so this is a story that, in, that is about a bad king, uh, and we're going to see what happens here. But before we jump into that, I, as I was preparing, was saying Solomon's so dumb. 
And, well, that's not true. Solomon was pretty smart. How smart, you might ask? Let's turn to 1 Kings 3, uh, 10 through 14. So you can turn there if you'd like, or it'll be on the screen as well. Um, but Solomon, somehow, he was, he was pretty smart. So starting at verse 10, it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. Asked what? We'll, we'll see. And God said to him, because you have asked this and, not, and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, meaning kill your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Family, I had to remind myself that, no, Solomon was not dumb. Solomon had the greatest amount of wisdom to ever be known, smarter than anyone in here, smarter than anyone that will come, smarter than anyone that has already been. And yet, Solomon fails. And when I realized that, when I couldn't come up with a joke, I changed the entire way I was going to deliver this sermon. Because um, like I said, it's for me, but I'm hoping it's for you as well. But before we jump into it, let's remind ourselves how we got here. Solomon married outside of Israel, had 700 wives, 300 concubines. He built high places. These are places of worship that people would travel days to go to, to honor these other little g gods not the God of Israel, not our true and living God. Solomon dies at the end of chapter 11. The second portion of what Lauren read was chapter 12. And here, Solomon's son, Roboam, takes over. And he gets, he gets an option on how he wants his ministry to take place. It's, it's mind-boggling. And this is where I think he's stupid, and yet I do the same thing every day. And then Israel asked Reboam to say, hey, please, please make this choice. And he says, I'll, I'll respond in three days. And when his response comes, it's, it's not what they want. And ultimately, it divides the kingdom. It divides the kingdom. But we need to remind ourselves that God is sovereign and, and that is his will and that is what he called to take place due to Solomon's sin. Family, my big idea for this sermon is sin destroys us and turns our hearts from God. I wanted a better sermon, not all about sin, but this is what it's going to be about. But it's also very important that we understand and recognize what sin is and what it's doing in our lives. Uh, so Solomon's sin destroyed his relationship with God. It destroyed Israel's relationship with God. The king of Israel was the person for the people. He was supposed to be like the spokesperson, spokesperson for God, and this is what God is like. And yet, well, he's broken, and Solomon failed at doing that. He caused Israel's heart to turn from God. They, they continued to worship other gods on high places. It wasn't just him and his wives and his concubines. It was all of Israel turning from God. And family, this is the beginning of the transformation of excellence to exile. Israel is going to feel the pain from these choices. So what Lauren read for us is what Solomon did, and it was evil. Family, and this is why I came downstairs crying, is that Solomon wasn't content, right? Solomon had a wife. Solomon had what God had given him. We just read all the riches. You will be the greatest king ever known. The queen of Sheba, we learned last week, came and talked to him and said, I am here to understand your wisdom and to see it working out. And she left saying, the, the, the stories were false. It is better 
than what the stories were. You truly are a great king. And yet, we read this chapter this week, and it's all about Solomon's sins. Family, the only thing the Bible's missing is your sins and my sins. And I think we need to get through that first. Now, Pillar, where are your high places? What in your life takes precedence over God? You don't have to answer that right now. I'm going to answer it for me, uh, and it's going to take some time to get through this list. Family, I, I struggle with being content. I struggle with the idea that what God has blessed me with is good. I struggle with the idea that what God has blessed me with is the old model and I want the new one. I struggle with thinking that the gifts that God has given me are good enough for me. I spit in the face of God every time I enjoy something in life because I want to enjoy it to the next level. Now let me actually get tangible with this. I need something shinier, something better, something stronger. Uh, I got into diving. I needed a dive gear. Well, I bought the most expensive dive computer because if you don't have the most expensive dive computer, you're going to die down there, right? <laughs> and then, well, because I got the dive computer, that's the first piece of equipment that you need, they say you should also get a regulator. When I went to the regulator, if you bought the regulator and you buy the BCD at the same time, you'll get 10% off. So I was like, well, I can't get that, that cheap version because people who wear that die. So I need the most expensive version of it, right? So I did. Money that I didn't set aside for that specifically. I just took it out of my family's checking account and said, this is what's important to me and this is what I need. And so I did it. Well, that dive computer is also a running watch, but I just got into running three months ago. But you know what? That dive computer is, is 50 millimeters thicker than a running watch. And if I were to buy a running watch, then I could probably run faster. And I watched a YouTube video, and this YouTuber, who's a professional runner, said, you need a different pair of shoes for every type of running that you do. So I was like, oh, man. Okay, I'm going to do easy pace runs. That's a pair of shoes. I'm going to do hard pace runs. That's a pair of shoes. I'm going to do recovery runs because my easy pace is too easy, and I need to do recovery, so I'm going to need a recovery pair of shoes. And you know what, Ben? You're going to be Olympic one day. You need to get a pair of super shoes, right? You need a pair of super shoes that is going to make you run the fastest marathon. I've never ran a day in my life, other than for my PT test up until three months ago. <laughs> and, and I have four pairs of running shoes that I've spent almost $1,000 on because I wasn't content with just having the one. Family, I am never content. The last time I preached... I got some feedback that instead of reading scripture off my notes, read scripture from the Bible. That way it doesn't take up space in my notes. I said, Vince, that's a great idea. The only problem is I have a lot of red markings in this Bible and I'd probably get like mixed up. He's like, well, just get a different Bible. Vince just told me to go out and buy a 150 goat skin preaching Bible. Okay. Family, you laugh, but I put that in my Amazon cart. It was there for weeks. It was there for weeks. It was like I said, God's word is more valuable depending on how much I pay for it. And I'm thinking about all these things as I'm getting my sermon together and I do come downstairs crying and I tell Nicole, babe, I got to like print out my Amazon list and put it on the screen. She's like, you got time for that? <laughs> Family, at night, 
I find myself rocking my nine-month-old son in his room to put him down. I give him a bath. I'm rocking him in my left arm, and in my right hand is my phone. And I'm scrolling Amazon. I'm scrolling this app called Slick Deals. I'm scrolling whatever it may be, or I'm watching a video on a hobby that I maybe haven't even done yet, but I want to get into, and the only way to get into is by buying the most expensive things for that hobby. And then I look to my son, and his eyes are on me, and he wants that connection. And I, shh, and I go back to my phone. I have high places, just like Solomon built. I have these idols in my life the same way that the smartest person who ever lived, whoever will live, and I'm no better. And I cried when I realized how wrong I was for thinking Solomon was so stupid and I could never be like him because that's who I am. So family, this sermon's for me. I, I pray that some of it's for you as well. Pillar, what are your high places? Where are your high places? Is it anger? Is it food? Is it sex? Is it alcohol? Is it porn? Is it status at work? Being in the military, that's a lot of pressure to, to make it up, right? Is it status at work? Is it that next rank? Is it stuff like me? Is it social media? Do you have to look good to others? And the only way to do that is by making that what you worship. I mean, we need to ask ourselves those questions and then we got to be honest with them. We have to call them out for what they are. It's a sin. It's an idolization. I am placing a watch ahead of my relationship with God. And really it was three weeks ago where I hear my family talking in the kitchen and they're talking about dad and buying things and I realize just how, how broken I am. I hear my oldest son, Ben Jr., ask, Mom, you know, Dad is always like buying cool things and it's really awesome and this kind of stuff. Like, like, like why is he always doing that? Like, what's up? And then Nicole answers it in such a, a way, like she's talking about, well, like, well, you know what, Ben, it's just who Dad is. But if I ever see him researching something, it doesn't matter if I say no or that it's not healthy or that it's not smart for us to do financially. I know the moment he starts researching something, he will buy it. Doesn't matter if it's today, tomorrow, or the next day, but he will continue to talk about it, he will continue to idolize it, and he will buy it. And I'm sitting in the kitchen, or in the living room, and I hear this. Family, like, you want your family to say other things about you, like, you know, even though dad has no hair, he still looks good, right? <laughs> but I'm sitting there, and I hear these things, and then I have to change my sermon all around because you know what, I am, I am Solomon. Now I don't have 700 wives and 300 concubines. One is more than enough. But it's okay, you can laugh at that. It's okay. We love each other deeply. Um, but family, I am called to be content. Let's go to 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10, and, and let's just see why I am called to be content. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. 
Paul's talking to me here. Paul's reminding me what this sin will do to me if, if, I, don't, if I don't stop. Family, I have uh, three different subpoints for us to go through today, and it's going to sort of align with how do we stop our sin from destroying us and how do we keep it from turning our hearts away from God. Um, Solomon's heart, Solomon's people, Solomon's son, Roboam, his people, their hearts were turned away from God uh, because of his sins, uh, because of Roboam's sins. My heart gets turned away from God every time I think it's more important to search Amazon than it is to spend time praying. Your heart gets turned away from God and is slowly destroyed each and every time you decide to worship whatever it is you have on your high place. It doesn't matter if you have to walk miles to it or if all you have to do is turn your phone on. We need to work at destroying that. So our, our three points for today is who do you turn to? Killing sin and resting in Jesus. Now in this passage, our, our first point, who do you turn to? It's, it's pretty obvious we have this situation where Roboam, he becomes king. And the people, the people he's supposed to lead, the people he's supposed to serve, comes to him and says, we would like it if you, taught, if you treated us better than the way your father treated us. And so Roboam, he goes to two different groups of people. He goes to old men. Now, these were old advisors that were there and were around when his, his father Solomon was there. And, and they give him a real solid piece of advice. 1 Kings 12.7 And they said to him, if you will be a servant to this people today and serve them and speak good words to them when you answer them, then they will be your servants forever. And family, as I'm reading that, being a New Testament believer in Jesus Christ, it reminded me of someone that we probably all know about and have heard, uh, Jesus' words, talking about being a servant, right? The king of Israel was to serve his people, yet that position turned into a position of power and tyranny. And Jesus, God, came to earth in the form of man, and he shows us exactly what it's like. Let's turn to Matthew 20, 25 through 28. But Jesus called them to him and said, now he's talking to his disciples, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority. Family, we're not talking about a good form of lordship or a good form of authority. We're talking about tyranny and fear. We're not talking about loving and being a servant to his people. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Family, God came to earth in the form of man, not to sit on his throne. He left his throne and he came to earth to be hung on a cross, to show us the ultimate way you could ever serve someone. Jesus died on our behalf. Family, the old men tried to to show Roboam a good way of being a leader and he, he kicked it aside and he listened to, to his young friends, 1 Kings 12, 10 through 11. Now, I'm older now and I don't think I am these friends anymore, but I used to be like them. I would tell people to do foolish things. 
But let's read what, what they told him when it came to being kind and loving to these people. And the young men who had grown up with him said to him, Thus shall you speak to this people who said to you, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you lighten it for us. Thus you shall say to them, My little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. And now whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. Family, Reboam asks these two different groups of people the same question, and he gets two totally different answers. And he goes with the second choice. He goes with his young friends. Now, I want to talk about my mentors for a little bit that I've had in my life, who I went to before, and who I go to now is very much different. When I was an atheist, it didn't really matter who I went to, but I had this one mentor that was in my life. Uh, he pulled me aside when I was a young E4 in the Air Force, and he said, Ben, I need to get you ready for two ranks from now. And I was like, oh, heck yeah. You know, like two ranks from now, that means I skip a rank. He's like, no, 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 you still have to do that. Um, but, and, and, and let me preface before I go too long, it's gonna sound like I don't like him anymore, or I don't love him. It's gonna sound like he gave horrible advice. Uh, he gave the best advice that he could possibly give at that time as a broken sinner who do, does not know who Jesus is. Um, Steve was career-driven. Steve's not his real name. Steve was career-driven. Like I said, he cared about me being promoted. He cared about me being promoted. He taught me how to do the things that need to be written down on paper that those above me would see and say, that's what we want, let's promote him. And I did it with a smile on my face. And then when I finally became an NCO and I was put in some leadership positions, I would do all these things to look good in front of leaders. I would also put down other people in front of those leaders so that way I would look better. Now, my mentor, Sacrificed everything for his job, literally everything. He's on his second family, uh, divorced, doesn't live with his, his first set of kids, right? He made some career choices, some, some family choices that are different. Um, he retired as a chief, though, right? He made E9. He made it all the way up. Three years as a chief, he's getting that good retirement paycheck. That's the most you can get. Nothing is better than that but the life that was destroyed from the 25 years of struggling through and saying that this is what you need and this is what you want, and that's who I listened to up until the point where I became a Christian and I found a new person in my life and his name's Mike, that's his real name, and he is an old guy. Uh, Mike cared about me. I first met him when we became a Christian and Mike, like I said this in the first sermon, and people laugh, so I hope you guys laugh. So he was annoying, but in a good way, okay? Uh, Mike kept coming up to me and saying, Ben, we need to work on your foundations. We need to work on the base of your faith in Jesus Christ. Every single time I saw Mike, he would say the same thing. And I was just, okay, Mike, I get it. And he's like, no, you don't. You don't. You can't, you can't race through this and think that you understand it, because that's who I was. That's what I, that's what I was doing for the last 15 years. Mike wanted me to know who Jesus was, truly know who he was. Not just say, okay, I know, say a prayer, and then now I'm saved, but he wanted me to know who he was, what he did, and the story that God 
has, has provided us from the very beginning of time up until where we are today. Mike wanted me to read the Bible. Mike met with me every Saturday for four to five months in a row at a Starbucks with the Bible, with a journal, to work on my foundations. Mike cared about me. Mike wasn't in the Air Force, but if I had an Air Force question, I started going to Mike. Hey, Mike, I really want to apply for this job. Mike's first question would be like, well, how is this going to honor God and honor your wife? Mike, I've never thought that way before, right? Mike was someone who I could turn to. Mike did something a little bit better for me too. Mike taught me what sin was. Mike was the very first person to ask me about porn. That was a question I thought Christians don't talk about. And yet here he was asking me, Ben, when was the last time? Oh, never. <laughs> okay, Ben, we need to talk, right? Mike was the first person to tell me that my sin was death, dressed up like candy, so tasty, so delicious, and so addicting. But you don't know that it's killing you. Family, who mentors you? Who do you turn to? Do you turn to the old men or old women in your life? They don't have to be old. Do you turn to those that have faith in Christ or do you turn to those that do not yet know who Christ is? And I'm not saying that you can't have people in your life that talk into you that don't know who Jesus is. That's an opportunity for you to share the gospel and that's a beautiful blessing that God has given you. But family, I'm, I love Steve, but I'm no longer gonna ask him any more questions about how I can do anything in my life because I'm gonna ask the people that are here in this room, the people that I call brothers and sisters, those that are currently doing it and not sacrificing things that are important to who they are and to who Jesus has called them to be. So family, who mentors you? Who do you seek for advice? Is it Facebook, Instagram, people outside the church? Is it the church, is it the body? Is it someone in here that has already lived through that? Someone who's already defeated a sin that could walk with you, to walk through it with you? Because that's where we need to look. It's to the left and to the right. It's not to outside. Now, this is where I'm going to put my plug for an MC. Uh, it's not a motorcycle club. It is a missional community. So if you are coming to Pillar and you have yet to join a missional community, um, I implore you to please check it out. Uh, find one that fits your schedule. Find one that fits your location. And if you can't find one, then change your schedule and drive a little bit further because it's that important. I've been a part of an MC. My family have been part of MC for three years since we've been here. And that is the one reason why I can say our relationship with Christ flourishes. That is the one reason I can say why that I know people on a much deeper level than just talking to them on a Sunday. So please, you can go to the iPad in the back at the end of the sermon. You can talk to any of the elders. You can talk to anyone else and just say, who's in an MC? Raise your hand. I'm, I'm in an MC. You can come talk to me. But it is there where you're going to find those people that can help who can be your old men and your old women, not like those young dudes telling him to be worse than his father. And they're also going to keep you honest on your sin. Roboam's sin is tyranny. He wants to be in control. He wants that power. He wants to be like his father, but take away any goodness that his father had. Family, our, our next point is killing sin. Now, this point right here is a tough one to talk about because, well, I mean, preaching on sin in general is... It can, be, it can be, you know, a little scary, but it's definitely necessary. Uh, killing sin is vital to our walk with the Lord. It's vital to our family. It's vital to our children. It's vital to who we are every single day. Uh, question, you don't have to raise your hand. 
Um, who in here lost all sinful desires or stopped sinning when they became a Christian? Ron raised his hand. <laughs> Just kidding, he didn't raise his hand. <laughs> Church, we all fail, right? We all fail, we all sin every single day. And let me just preface this next section with Jesus defeated sin and death on our behalf. We have grace and freedom in that, that death on the cross 2,000 years ago. We know that we are free. We know that we are saved. If you call yourself a Christian, you have faith in Jesus. Rest knowing that you are saved. But that does not give us the freedom to sin. That does not give us the freedom to take our sin down a level and just call it a bad idea. In the past, I've, I've confessed some sins to brothers and, and they've said to me, Ben, don't worry about it. You didn't murder anyone, right? There's murderers out there. Like, it's not that bad. Or, hey, you know, I've watched porn this weekend and, and I'm, I'm, I'm stuck in my ways. I don't know what to say. How do I tell my wife? Ben, you didn't cheat on your wife. It's just, you just watch something. Like, you don't have to just, nah, don't. We all do it. We slip up. We slip up. Family, we cannot call our sins anything but what they are. It is death that kills us. We can't call it a slip up. We can't call it an honest little mistake. We have to call it something that it separates us from the love and glory of who God is. I cannot be in his presence. No one can be in his presence with our sin marring us. But just hold on to that preface that Jesus on our behalf already did what we need to do that we can't do. Now, family, in Romans 8.13, I, I read this, 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 this passage, and we'll read it in a second, and it came about this phrase that I didn't know about until two years ago. It's called mortification of your sins. Uh, it's a big word, and I didn't know about it four years into my faith, and I feel like I was, I was missing out on something. I've talked about God's grace, I've talked about his love, I've talked about the sacrifice, but I think we don't talk about the mortification of our sins enough. Uh, that is putting to death our sins. Let's turn to Romans 8.13 and let's see what Paul has to tell us. For if you live according to the flesh that is with your sin desire controlling you, you will die. You will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Family, like I did in the beginning of the sermon, I confessed to you my high places, my sins. Those are all real. Those are all very true. It's a struggle that I have. It's not a small problem in my life. It is a sin. It is a grievous error that takes me out of the Father's love and into this dark place. And it kills me slowly. But Paul tells us in Romans that we can kill our sin. Family, killing sin is hard work. Actively working hard with the Spirit's power, not on your own, and its Spirit's guidance to to take that sin and remove it from your life permanently is what we're called to do each day. It's not easy work. So how do we do it? Well, there's no easy 10-step recipe. There isn't. And this isn't me telling you to write these steps down. 
but you got to confess it to the Lord first. You have to be honest with yourself. You have to call it for what it is. And then you need to find those brothers and sisters that can hold you accountable. I just confessed to first service and second service that I have a problem with things. If no one asks me next week, Ben, how is things in your life, then we're failing. I need to be called out. Ben, show me your Amazon history. I need that. I want that. I desire that. Why? Because I want to put to death the sin that is in my life. Family, where are your high places? Do the same. John Owens, this old pastor, uh, wrote uh, The Mortification of Sin. I highly suggest you read it, and I want to put this quote on the board. Uh, Do you mortify? Do you make it your daily work? Always, be always at it whilst you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. He's talking to a bunch of believers. He's talking to those that have put their faith in Jesus Christ, those that who, who do have salvation. I can stand before you today and say, I will be in heaven with my Father, and I can have that firm faith because of Mike and the foundations that he said that I needed so to desperately learn. But family, my sin still kills me slowly, and it still kills you slowly. Now, Rehoboam had a chance to serve his people. These older men tried to tell him what to do. He didn't choose it. He went with the young men. He wanted to be a tyrant and not a servant. Lord, and I just told you all right now that we need to kill sin. We need to do this. But I have to end the sermon with something else. I have to end the sermon with resting in Jesus. It is only here that you will be able to defeat any sin in your life. Now, family, before I start, This portion requires a 12-month sermon series, resting in Jesus. Everyone's heard that phrase probably. You're like, oh, you just got to rest in Jesus. You're like, great, Ben. What does that mean? (sighs) I wish I could tell you in five minutes, but I can't. But I'm going to try my best. Because family, that is how we succeed at this marathon called life. First, we need to remember that it's not our work that saves. It's Jesus' work that saves. And that any work that we do do, that we do, sorry, comes from, (laughs) that wasn't written down, uh, comes from our salvation. Any work that we do comes from our salvation, not the other way around. We don't do work for salvation. Let's go to Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Family, it's, it's what we do from salvation. We kill sin from salvation, not for salvation. But our desire to kill sin must come from a relationship that is forming each day with Christ, our relationship that is resting in Christ each day. As your life with Jesus and his church develops and your faith is deepened through all the seasons you go through, you will find yourself more able to rest in Jesus. Family, the more you rest, the more you'll be able to kill sin. The more you kill sin, the greater your rest will be. As your faith grows season to season, year to year, decade to decade, 
you're going to be those old men. You're going to be those old women. You're going to have Roboams coming to you, asking you questions. And because of what you lived through the previous decade, because of the choices that you made, because of your faith, because of how you spent time with the Lord, you will be guiding those people. That's an important role that we play in the life of other Christians. Family, it's important that we understand that it is only through our relationship with Christ. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Family, the moment you become a Christian, you taste things differently. You see things differently. You feel things differently. You see your sin for what it is. At that moment, you know that Christ is working in you. Now, if you have faith in Jesus, he is your savior, he is your king, rest knowing that your salvation is final. Right? No works will continue your salvation for you. You putting sin to death with a sword and shield every single day isn't gonna secure your place in heaven. Jesus has done that. If you have yet to come to know who Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior is, open your eyes. You have no work to do. Jesus has already done that for you. Your father is calling you home. Your father is running to you with his arms wide open saying, come to me, son. Come to me, daughter. Rest. Open your eyes. Open your heart. And know that there is a God in heaven who loves you. Now, family, I wish there was a happy conclusion to this passage. There's not. The kingdoms are split. Israel and the northern and southern tribe. Roboam, evil king. Jeroboam, we think he sounds like he's going to be a good... Read ahead. Read ahead. These kings are crazy. These kings are crazy and they're not good. They do not honor God. They just get crazier. But family, your story does not need to get crazier doesn't. Sin destroys us and turns our hearts from God, but with the Spirit's guidance, we could put sin to death and turns our heart, turn our hearts back towards God. Family, it's, it's time to call out your high places for what they are. It's time to tear them down. It's time to work arm in arm with brother and sister and say, this is what's killing me and I no longer want it in my life. It's time to be there for one another as the church has been called to be. Let's pray. Father God, I give you thanks for this day, Lord. I thank you for bringing us together, no matter where we are. Seriously, no matter where we are, Lord, in this world, your church is there. You bring us peace when we can't find it by ourselves. You have provided everything that we need. Lord, help me be content. Help me be okay with the food and water in which you provided. Lord, I pray that today this message uh, just sits in our hearts and our minds and allows us to to truly be honest with where we have our high places. Help us call them out for what it is. Holy Spirit, please convict us in a way that brings us to our knees and honors you and glorifies you. Lord God, I am. I'm so sorry. I am so sorry for worshiping things over you. I'm so sorry for all I have done this past week. Please forgive me, Father. 
Lord, I know that I am saved. I know that you have called me clean and that when you look at me, you do not see my past sins, but you see a beautiful, beautiful son. Lord, just please put that in the hearts of everyone that's in here, Lord, that they don't walk away uh, convicted to the point of hating themselves, but they walk away knowing that your love is the greatest thing and you have given it to us for free. Thank you, Father, and in your name, your son's name, we pray, amen.